Okay, good evening everyone. It's good to see you all tonight and we're going to go ahead and get started in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and we'll for certain do 25 to 34 and then we'll see where we're at and we might move into chapter 7. Uh, but Matthew chapter 6, we'll read verses 25 through the end of the chapter and then we'll pray and have our Bible study. Matthew 6, verse 25 says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, then saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, uh, knowing that you are our Father, and that, Lord, you are the one who provides for us all good things. And that, Lord, you uh, love us and that you know how to care uh, for your own. And so, Father, we pray that we would learn to trust in you, Lord, that we would uh, not be anxious, Lord, that we would not worry about this present life, but Lord, knowing that uh, you are the one who will provide and care for your people. And so, Lord, we pray that we would learn to depend upon you, Lord, to trust you and to, Lord, rest in your providence, Lord, knowing that your providential care, uh, Lord, is exactly what we need uh, for our life that, Lord, you know how to sanctify us. Lord, you know all that we need, and that, Lord, you will give to us uh, what is best and what is most useful in order to sanctify us, Lord, and to cause us to persevere uh, to eternal life. And so, Lord, we pray that we would um, learn to trust in you and that you would teach us in this passage, Lord, not to worry about this present life. So, Lord, help us tonight as we study, and, Lord, we pray that you would uh, keep us from sin and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Here, uh, the topic to the end of the chapter is dealing with uh, anxiety or anxiousness concerning the things of this present life. And this is really uh, goes in hand with what Jesus was dealing with last week when he was talking about the love of money. Love of money, love of riches, right? This inordinate desire to have possessions and to have those things uh, that make one wealthy in this present life. That, that is certainly a sin and one that we must avoid, uh, one that should not be uh, in us as believers. But here, the other side of that is whenever we have a lack of wealth, right, a lack of those things that are needful in this life, how do we respond to those situations, right? On the one hand, people are sinning in order to gain wealth. and the other hand, people are sinning when they don't have it, right, or when they don't have what is needful for this life. Uh, and when a person is anxious, 
over this life, whether it's in terms of the needs of life, food and clothing, or whether it's in terms of our family, our situation, our job, right, our, our health, our security, right, what's going on in the world, in politics, in the country, in society, right, that's what we've been studying in Psalm 37 on Sunday mornings. There it's dealing with world events, right, what's going on in terms of the wicked in contrast to the righteous. So whatever it is, right, whatever it is that is causing us trepidation, turmoil in our life, right, how do we respond to those situations, right? Do we trust in God? Do we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly, as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did? Or do we fret and worry and become anxious about these things, things that are out of our control, things that we have no ability to control whatsoever, and yet many times we find that we are filled with anxieties, with fears, with trepidation when we're facing the various issues of life, right? The turmoils and the difficulties that we will face in this present world. And here Jesus is telling us that we can't do this, right? That we can't do this. And we have to see that it is a sin, right? This is a sin. Anxiety, fretting, being fearful, trepidation, whatever we want to call it, right? It is a sin against God. And it really is a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God. And it comes from our own pride and our belief that we ourselves know best how to rule and manage our own lives better than God does. And that if we were in control, we wouldn't be doing this to ourselves, but we would be giving ourselves this and that and all the things and dealing with all these issues. So ultimately it comes down to pride and unbelief. This is these are the root sins, the causes of anxiety and being fearful and anxious in this life. Also, it should be said that this is a sin that certainly is common to all men, but in terms of male and female, this is one that is uh, very strong with women, right? With women. Women have a tendency to be anxious, to be fearful, and certainly part of that is because they are the weaker vessel, right? Weaker and those things of this life have a more drastic or severe impact upon the woman because of the weakness of her sex. And so it's something that women need to be aware of and the men need to be aware of for the women and help them overcome this sin, right? So all of us need to overcome it and we all need to be aware that when this rises up within us, we cannot excuse it and say, well, it's just a, a, a flaw that I have or it's uh, something that I struggle with here or there, or it's just something that's a part of who I am, right? We can't look at it in that way. We have to see it as a sin. And as a sin, it's not coming from the spirit of God within us, but it's arising from the flesh. And the flesh is evil and it's contrary to God, right? And it really is an insidious sin, right? So we have to see it and call it what it is. And all sin must be detestable in our sight, even the sin of, anxiety and we can't make excuses for it but we have to overcome it and how do we overcome it this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith first john chapter 5 and here jesus tells us how to overcome the sin of anxiety right the sin of being sinfully fearful or having this type of trepidation okay so let's look there and we'll pick up in verse 25 says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food 
and the body more than clothing. So here, for this reason, right, for this reason, right, in light of what he's been teaching concerning money, love of money, you cannot serve both God and money. Don't be preoccupied with this present world and with the things of this present world, okay? That's the issue that we're dealing with. So for this reason, right, because people cannot serve both God and money, then you must be on guard against anxiety. And a person that is anxious is evidencing that they have money as their God. Or at the very least, they are preoccupied with this present world, that they have a preoccupation, a fascination, all that's on their mind is this present life, and they're not thinking in terms of spiritual realities and in terms of eternity, right? But that's what we have to do. We have to serve God. We have to store up treasures in heaven. We have to have at the forefront of our mind our spiritual life, and then our physical life has to fit within that, right? That's what we dealt with last week, and it continues on this week, right? It's not that there isn't a place for us to earn money, for us to even build wealth, right? To build our estate, to leave an inheritance for our children. Yes, there's nothing wrong with any of those things if they're kept in the proper perspective, as long as our priorities are right. And what must always be first on our mind? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. This must be first, and then the building up of wealth is secondary to that, right? If it fits within that, then it's okay. But if we have to go outside of the will of God in order to do it, then it is a sin. So it's fine to work hard, to have a good job, to be frugal in your spending, to make wise investments, and to build wealth in that way, because all of those are legal, lawful ways to do it if God gives you the blessing. But it's sinful and wrong to build wealth by robbing banks, right? To build wealth by defrauding people. We shouldn't do that, right? We shouldn't build it. And that way it's sinful. And if a person is doing that, if he's willing to sin in order to build his wealth, then he shows that God is not his God, but rather money is his God. Well, the same way here. There's nothing wrong with getting food, clothing, drink. We need all of those things for this life. But we cannot be so preoccupied with the things of this life that we lose sight and focus on what is primary and what must be at the forefront, which is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We must seek that first, right? So we cannot be preoccupied with this world. And again, in both cases, whether it be greed or covetousness or whether it be anxiety, in both cases, you have a person who is preoccupied with this present world. That's all that's on their mind. In the kingdom of God and righteousness and eternal life, it's secondary, right? It's secondary. And this will be a constant temptation for these things to creep up and to dominate and monopolize our life. And we have to beat it back. We can't do that. We have to seek first the kingdom of God. So he says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Do not be worried, Jesus says. So if we are worried, who are we disobeying? Jesus Christ, right? When he says, do not be worried, that's a commandment. This isn't a suggestion. It's not, uh, you know, this would be a good idea. Take it or leave it. That's not the case at all. When he says, do not be worried, he's saying that in terms of a commandment. And he's commanding his disciples. And we are his disciples. So we have to obey Christ. We have to obey his word. And he tells us, do not be worried about your life. 
about your life. Now, what life is he talking about here? He's talking about our physical life, this present physical life that God has given to us. Don't be worried about it. Now, when he says don't be worried, he does not mean don't ever think about your present life. He can't mean that. He doesn't mean don't ever plan for your present life. He can't mean that. He says don't be worried about it. Don't be worried about it. So thinking about it, what a mother waking up in the morning or even on Monday or whatever day of the week that they make the plan for the house, for the meals, right? For them to think and say, okay, on Monday night, we're going to have spaghetti and Tuesday night, we're going to have, uh, what was that? Something else, you know, whatever it is that you want to have, okay? And planning that throughout the week, that we're going to have these different meals throughout the week, and then I need to go to the store. I, I looked in the pantry. Okay, we have these things, but we need to get these items. I'm going to the store to buy those things. We got this much money budgeted for that. Okay, he's not talking about that. We have to do that, right? Who can just go by the seat of their pants and say, okay, it's five o'clock. It's time for dinner. We have no idea what we're going to have. We have no idea what's in the house, but you know, we're not, we're not worrying about this present life. That's not what he means. He cannot mean that, right? So thinking, planning, preparing for the things that we need for this life. He's not forbidding that, but he is forbidding being worried about it, being worried about it and being so preoccupied and anxious about this present life that we don't know what to do. Fretting over these things, having fear over these things. He says, don't do that. Right? Don't do that. If the budget is very tight, if it's paycheck to paycheck and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, don't worry about it. Trust in God, commit it to the Lord, do whatever is within your means to uh, rectify it. So if you can go get a second job, go get a second job. If you can pick up extra work here, pick up extra work here. Whatever you can do to rectify it lawfully inside the will of God, then give yourself to those things. But ultimately, don't fret about it. Don't worry about it because God is going to provide for you. And there will be disciples and there will be believers who, because of their faith in Christ, are going to be put in desperate situations concerning how they're going to live, how they're going to eat, how they're going to provide for their families, right? Because of their faith in Christ. When people won't hire them, when they won't employ them, when they won't pay them, when they're plundering their property, as happened in the book of Hebrews to the Christians there. They're put in very difficult situations, right? Because of these things. How are they going to provide for themselves? How are they going to provide for their family? And Jesus says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. Commit it to the Lord. And don't be worried about these things. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. So here, we're not talking about, uh, am I going to have to buy a used car instead of a new car? Am I going to have to get an old iPhone instead of a brand new one? Right? We're, that's not, that, that, that has no bearing on this at all. We're talking about necessities, right? These are the necessities of life. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content, the Apostle Paul says. These are things that you must have for your life. So we certainly shouldn't be worrying about things that are just additions to our life. They have, that are not necessities. But here, he's talking about necessities. And how many of us, have ever been in a situation where we didn't know whether we were going to eat the next day 
or what we were going to drink the next day, or if we were going to have clothing to wear the next day. Has that ever happened to any of us? Probably hardly at all. Maybe here or there, but for the most part, we've all lived our lives with a full pantry, with plenty of clothes, with clean water at the at the uh, our fingertips. All you gotta do is turn it on and get it. And then if you didn't, there are plenty of people where you can go get it from. So why do we have anything to be worried about? Seeing the prosperity that we have in our own day, right? In our own day, in our own situation. So don't be worried about these things. Why? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Here, earlier, he says, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or wear. He's talking about our physical life. Now, life, right, what a man consists of, his life, is more than food and more than clothing. Right? There is another element to the life of man, a spiritual component, and which of the two is most important, the physical or the spiritual? The spiritual is most important, right? So the spiritual has to be at the forefront. And if I'm worrying about the physical, is the spiritual at the forefront? It can't be because I'm sinning against God. So a person who's worrying shows that for them, all life consists of is food, drink, and clothing. But Jesus says that's not the case at all. The life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. There are things more important than your next meal, than what you're going to drink, than what you're going to wear. And that is the spiritual reality, the forgiveness of sins, right? Salvation, eternal life, heavenly rewards. These things are more important. And so that's what we have to focus on, on the spiritual, and then trust that God will provide all of our needs. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Here, Martha is distracted with all of her preparations. Now, is there anything wrong with showing hospitality? Is there anything wrong with serving others and serving and meeting the physical needs? Of course not. We know from 1 John that if a brother is lacking in daily bread or lacking in some physical need and we don't need it, the love of God does not abide in us. Right. So it is important that we do this. Also, we know showing hospitality to strangers, meeting their physical needs. This is a part of the Christian faith, right? This is a part of our righteousness is showing hospitality and doing those things. However, when Jesus is in your home and Jesus is teaching the Bible, is that the time to be serving and waiting tables? No. What is it time to do when Jesus is in the home teaching the Bible? Sitting at his feet and listening to him. But here, Martha's preoccupation 
with the physical, right? The spiritual is more important. She's preoccupied with the physical, with the meal, whatever it is that they're going to have, whatever service needs to be done, that she is herself neglecting the greater portion, which is the spiritual. And now she's demanding that Jesus tell her sister to neglect the greater portion, which is the spiritual. But what does Jesus say? No, not, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. Also, you'll notice Jesus tells her this in her own home, right? In her own home, he tells her that what you're doing is wrong. He's rebuking her. He's not bashing her over the head, but he is rebuking her and telling her that you're not thinking rightly. He tells her she's worried and bothered about so many things, right? Right here to her face in her home when she's showing hospitality to him. But is Jesus right in what he's saying? Of course, right? He cannot be wrong. So she is preoccupied with the physical when what should be on her mind is the spiritual. The spiritual. And then after that, then it's time to prepare and serve, right? So there would come a time to show the hospitality and to do and make the preparations that needed to be made, but just not at this time, right? Not at that moment. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verse 4, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there, be anxious for nothing. Again, that's a commandment. That's not a suggestion. He's saying it in the imperative, right? Be anxious for nothing. But instead of being anxious, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the cure. Instead of fretting about it, being anxious about it, go to God and pray to him and ask him to supply your needs. And while you're praying to God, Thank him for all the things that he's given to you, right? All the blessings that you have, right? All the many things that he has bestowed upon you. And then the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus so that you won't be anxious over these things. So give it to the Lord and entrust it to him. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Here, by way of comparison, right? He draws their attention to the birds of the air, right? The birds, right? And birds are not valuable creatures, right? They're very uh, creatures that are have very little value, right? Are very, very little value. But look at the birds of the air. Okay, birds do not sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. Okay, who sows, reaps, and gathers into barns? People do, right? That's what we do. We are the ones who sow, we reap, we gather into barns in order to provide our daily bread. This is the means God has ordained for us to provide our daily bed. We sow, we reap, we gather into barns. Well, the birds, they don't do any of these things. Right? They're not thinking in terms of preparation. They're not planning. They're not doing 
all of the activities that are necessary for us to do in order to have our daily bread. But do birds go hungry? No. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They eat every single day. And who feeds them? Who provides all of their food? God does, right? God does. They fly here and there, and they go and they pick up seeds here and there, and they do those things. But ultimately, it is God who is feeding all of the birds. And how is God described in this verse? Your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. Again, he's talking to believers. He's not talking to the wicked. He's talking to believers. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Are you not much of much more value than they? Are people more valuable than birds? Of course they are, right? It's not even close. People are more valuable than birds, more valuable than dogs, more valuable than any creature on this earth. People are the most valuable. If God feeds birds, then won't he feed people? And if God feeds people, even wicked people, what about his own children? Right? Because that's who we're talking about here. We're not even talking about the distinction between birds and human beings. We're talking about the difference between birds and the elect, the righteous, the children of God, those who have been bought and purchased by the blood of Christ, those who Jesus came to seek and to save, that he gave his life for them. That's who we're talking about. Well, if God does this for birds, then won't he do it for us, the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom of God? We're going to inherit salvation? We're going to go to heaven for all eternity and be with God as his people? But he doesn't know how to provide for our needs? He doesn't know how to feed us in this life? He's so blind to our needs that we're going to starve to death? That we're going to perish because we don't have what we need in this life? Do you see how evil that is? for us to to have these kinds of thoughts. Remember last Saturday when we were in Genesis chapter 50 at men's Bible study, this past Saturday, Genesis chapter 50, and Joseph, his brothers came up to him after his father died, and they said, they pled with him to not repay them according to the evil that they had done to him previously. They had committed a great evil, and now they were afraid that since Jacob was dead, that now Joseph was going to retaliate and get revenge against them and their children because of the great evil that they had committed against him years before. And what did Joseph do when his brothers did that to him? He wept. He wept because it was like a slap in the face, a sucker punch to the gut. Had he done anything to give them this indication that he could not be trusted, for them to be suspicious of him, to think that he was going to retaliate against them? Of course not. Everything he had done was upstanding, was right. And he had pronounced those things to them many times. And they had many evidences, 17 years of evidence of living there with him where he was providing and meeting all of their needs. And yet now, here they come, suspicious of him, saying these things to him, and it's a slap in the face. Well, isn't that what we do to God whenever we're anxious? God doesn't know how to meet our needs. You've met my needs all of these years before. Right, you've done all these things for me, but but now I don't trust you. Now I'm not sure if I can trust you that you're going to do what I need. This is what we're doing when we are being anxious. It's like a slap in the face of God. After all of his kindnesses, all of the goodness, the grace that God has given to us, 
and now we're not going to trust him to meet our basic needs, to take care of our life, to take care of our family, to take care of our children, to take care of our situation in this life? No. Why would we ever doubt God? Why would we not trust that God knows what is best for us and that he knows how to care for his own people? And then we have another proof, the birds of the air. Not only the birds, the cattle, right? The, the dogs while we're at it, the cats, whatever it is, the fish. All of these animals live and have their being in existence because of God. He feeds them every day. And we are much more valuable than all of the animals, all of the animals. And we are not just people. We are God's people, the elect. Psalm 147. Psalm 147. Psalm 147, verse 9. It says, He gives to the beast its food, and to the young ravens which cry. He, being God, gives the beast its food, meaning all of the beasts, all of the animals, receive their food from God, and the young ravens, which cry out, they cry out for food, who feeds them? God. It is ultimately God who feeds him. And if God does that for the beast, if he does it for the birds, then will he not also do it for you? You are worth much more than they. We are much more valuable than the animals. Therefore, we should trust God. Verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Right. What good does worrying do? How does it benefit or help the situation at all? Does it rectify and resolve whatever situation is ailing us? Right. Whatever it is that we're facing that's causing us this anxiety and worry, does worrying actually help the situation? Does it make it better? Or does it make it worse? Right? It doesn't do any good at all. It actually, it makes it much worse and it causes us to tailspin right into all sorts of sin. So why would we even do it? And which of you, he says, by being worried can add a single hour to his life. When we worry, can we add hours to our life? Actually, what does it do when we worry? Doesn't it take hours away from our life? Right? Don't they say that? Stress, worrying, these types of things cause people to have high blood pressure, have heart attacks, right? It actually takes your life away from you whenever you're worried about these things. So it doesn't help the situation. It doesn't help your life. Not one bit at all, right? So why would you do it knowing that it is actually, it doesn't do any benefit? Not only is it a sin against God, not only is it a lack of faith and trust in the goodness and kindness of God, but it also is detrimental to your own health. Right? It's harmful to your own being. It doesn't help the situation. It does absolutely no good at all. So why do it? Right? This is why it's so foolish. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. You see how foolish you're behaving? He's saying to his disciples by being worried and anxious about these things. You can't even add a single hour to your life. This is how fickle and finite our life is how little control we have over our own life. Can we add a single hour to our life? No. Who is the only one that can do that? God is. God is the only one 
He is the one who gives us our life. He's the one that sustains our life. He is the one that will take our life one day. And it's already been determined by God. God has determined the number of our days. And we cannot go one day beyond the number that has been determined by God. And we can't fall one day short of the number that has been determined by God. And does worrying change that at all? No. So why would we do it? Other than we don't trust God. We're not thinking correctly. Right? When we're being anxious, we're behaving insanely, like an insane person, contrary to reason and contrary to the scriptures, right? What the Bible teaches us about God and our own existence. Job chapter 14. Job 14. Verse 5. We'll, we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. That's like Jacob when he went before Pharaoh and he says, Few and evil have been the days of my life. Few and evil. This is what our life is in this present age. Few and evil. Short-lived, full of turmoil. This is the way it is. right? So we should not expect to have a well, a Hollywood life. Right? Though a Hollywood life today is a life of depravity, so we wouldn't want that anyway. But this idea of everything's going to be wonderful and perfect, and we're never going to have any difficulties in our life. It's just going to be good and great, and never any hardships, no difficulties, no sorrows, only happiness and joy, uh, roses and rainbows all the days of our life. It's not going to be the case. No, that hasn't been the case for anyone. Short-lived and full of turmoil. This is what our life will be. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. You also open your eyes on him and bring him into judgment with yourself. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. And his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. Turn your gaze from him that he may rest until he fulfills his days like a hired hand. There, his days are determined. The number of his months is with you. His limits you have set so that he cannot pass. God is the one who has determined our days down to the very last second. The very last second of our life is determined by God. The number of months is with God and God has set a limit, and we cannot pass it. We cannot pass it. Whatever that day is, right? whatever that limit is to our life, when that day comes, then that's the end. And then we will stand before God. And by worrying, can we add a single hour to that? No. We can't add an hour to it. Also, can deprivation take a single day away from us, according to the will of God? No, it can't. So our situation cannot add to it, and it cannot take it away. So all we then can do is live according to the will of God. Do what God has called us to do. Do whatever we can to sustain our lives, to cherish our life. Right? We shouldn't be stupid and reckless. We shouldn't jump off of buildings. We shouldn't drive 150 miles an hour down the interstate. We shouldn't do those kinds of things, okay? That's to squander the life that God has given us. 
but at the same time, live a reasonable, wise life. But no, our days have been determined by God. And there is a time coming when all of us will die, and then we will stand before our Maker. And worrying doesn't help. It doesn't add to, it doesn't take away. So our worrying cannot add a single hour to our life. So why would we do it? Don't do it. It's very foolish. Verse 28. Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Here, clothing. This is another thing on people's mind, right? We have to have clothing. And again, in our situation, our problem is usually we got too many clothes, right? We need to get rid of some of those things, right? So it's not even a problem for us at all. But, you know, if the situation is dire and, and there's great hardships, then you may wonder, where, where am I going to get clothing, right? You have to have clothing. You don't want to go around naked and you don't want to be exposed to the elements. So these are essentials, necessities of life. Well, why are you worried about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Who toils and spins for clothing? People do, right? We do. Lilies, they don't do that. They just grow up, right? That's it. Yet, I say, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. The glory of the flowers is greater than the glory of Solomon. The, this rich king, this richest of kings with great wealth who had access to the finest tailors, right, in all of the world, to the finest clothing, and yet even he, clothed in all of his glory and splendor, was not as beautiful in his clothing, in his adornment, than the flowers of the field, than the lilies of the field. Well, if God does this for the grass of the field, gives them such beauty, adorns them in such a beautiful way, and the flowers are alive today, and then tomorrow, they're thrown into the furnace. This is how it is with flowers, right? You go to Lowe's, you get ripped off over there, they charge you an arm and a leg for those flowers, but you do it anyway. You plant them, you water them for a couple of months, then they die and you have to throw them away, right? Or you burn them, whatever it is that you do to them. This is the way it is. Such a short lifespan on those flowers, and yet they have such beauty. But just for a moment, they're here one day, they're gone the next. And then they get thrown into the furnace. Well, if God does that for flowers, will he not much more clothe you? Won't God provide clothing for his people? And then notice what he says, you of little faith, right? What's the problem? What's always the problem? Right. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Well, anxiety, is it proceeding from faith? No, no. right? That's why he's saying you have little faith. You have some faith, but then when you're anxious, you have little faith. Your faith is weak. It needs to grow. It needs to be strong so that you're not being anxious about these things. So if God does this for the flowers, such beauty, such adornment for them, here one day, the next day thrown into the furnace. Also, we might even say, God does this for the wicked. He clothes them, doesn't he? And they're here one day, and the next day what happens to them? They get thrown into the furnace as well, right? Many, very, many wicked people have 
very nice clothing. They are clothed much in much finer clothing than what we have, but they're going to be thrown into the furnace tomorrow as well. Well, won't God do that for us? Believers, right? Christians, children of God, his own children, won't he provide for us? So again, yes, of course he will. Do you see how he's painting it in such a way that we would have to say, well, it's ridiculous for us to worry about our food and our clothing. And yet, what do we often find? When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And it's a lack of faith. It is little faith that causes us to be worried and anxious over these things. Also, we should point out some of the problems that people have today when they get anxious is because they're spending too much money. They're spending too much money and then they get all these debts and then they can't pay their debts, right? They extend, people overextend themselves. This is the problem. Instead of living within their means and living a simple, quiet, contented life, they want to live a very luxurious life and they go and they borrow a bunch of money so they can buy nice cars, so they can get uh, boats and go on lavish vacations and do this and that. And then they spend all their money and then something happens and someone loses their job and now they have all these debts and they don't know how they're going to pay for them. And then they get all fretting and worked up and anxious about it. When if they would live within, if we would live within our means, live a simple, content, quiet, frugal life, then most of the time we're never going to have anything to be worried about at all, right? We're, it's never going to even be a problem for us. We'll have a surplus, right, in the bank so that if a difficult day comes, we have nothing to worry about because we have plenty in reserve in order to deal with it. And then we'll also be able to help others as well. Not others who are living foolishly, right? but others if they have legitimate, legitimate needs. Okay. Romans 14, 23. Romans 14, 23. It says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin, right? So the general principle that is true is that whatever does not proceed or come from faith is a sin against God. Here in the immediate context in Romans, he's talking about eating and drinking, right? Eating meat and drinking wine. And if someone has doubts concerning those things, then he shouldn't do it because it's not coming from faith and it's a sin. But the principle is true for all things, for all issues. If it's not coming from faith, then it is a sin. And here, anxiety obviously isn't coming from faith because Jesus says, you have little faith, right? That's the problem. It's your lack of faith that causes you to be anxious. So if it is a lack of faith, then what is it? It's a sin, a sin. Again, not a proclivity, not a, a struggle, not uh, something that I'm dealing with, but it's a sin against God. That's the way that we have to look at it, and we have to look at all sin, the way it's called in Scripture. And sin must be detestable to us. If it's not odious and detestable to us, then we're never going to get rid of it. But if we just see it as a little blip or a, a small blight upon us, then what's the big deal? We have to see it for what it truly is. Most of the time, people will diagnose their spiritual brain cancer as a headache, 
I just have a little headache. But no, that's not what it is. It is brain cancer. You have to call it what it is so that we will deal with it seriously, the way it needs to be dealt with. That's how we have to be with anxiety, right? We can't downplay it. We have to call it what it is. It's a sin. We have to hate it and try to overcome it, right? Seek to overcome it by our faith in the word of God. Verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? Right? Don't worry about these things. Even these, the way these things are being said. What will we eat? Right? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? Right? Where are we going to get the things that we need? What are we going to do? Right? It's so desperate. I don't know what I'm going to do. Right? How am I going to get any of these things? This is what people do. Right? What's going to happen to me? Right? It's so precarious. It's so difficult. I don't know what's going to happen. We're all going to die. Right? The, the, uh, the disease, the pandemic is coming. It's going to spread and everyone's going to die. Don't you know that if you go outside, you could get it and you could die? Isn't that what people were doing a couple of years ago? Especially if you watch the media. They, they were, the whole world was going to come to an end. But did it end? No. Did people die left and right? Were there millions of bodies scattered on the roadways and everywhere in the city? No. It didn't, it didn't happen at all. It was all a big... They hyped it up like this. People were so anxious, so worried, that if they walked outside their house, they were going to contract a deadly disease and they were going to die a miserable death in their home. But the only thing making us miserable was the government. Dr. Fauci and the CDC, right? They were making us miserable by telling us not to go about our normal life, right? Not to be with our friends and our family and our churches and to do the things that we normally do. So don't worry about these things. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about these things. What we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear for clothing. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So here, the disciples are afraid. They're anxious. They're crying out to Jesus. Right? What, are you going to save us? We're all going to die here? And Jesus tells them, why are you afraid of these things? Right? Why are you being so anxious? What's their problem? Little faith. Right? Well, isn't that the problem here? You of little faith? You don't have any faith. Right? Your faith is little. You think God the Father is going to let a ship sink to the bottom of the ocean with Jesus Christ on it, who's come to die on the cross for our sins. You think that's going to happen? He's on the boat with them. And yet, that's what they're doing. Well, 
It's the same for us. Don't we have the Holy Spirit of God with us at all times? Doesn't he live within us? Isn't our body a temple of the Holy Spirit who's been given to us by God? Then will God provide what we need for our body? Give us the things that we need according to his will. Now, it may be, and here and there from time to time, there are true believers who might perish from hunger. But even if they do, it's not because God didn't provide for them, right? God was testing them, and God glorified himself in their death. But generally speaking, that's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. We're going to have everything that we need. 32, for the Gentiles, eagerly seek all these things, and for, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The Gentiles, eagerly seek all these things. Isn't this what we see in this present world? By Gentiles here, he means unbelievers. He means the wicked, right? He means the wicked, the unbelieving Gentiles. They seek all of these things. This is what the people of the world are doing. They are preoccupied with this world. That's all they know is this present world. Their mind isn't thinking about the kingdom of God. They're not thinking about eternal life. They're not thinking about spiritual things at all. All they care about is food, clothing, drink, security, health, pleasures. That's all they care about in this life. Wealth, riches, right? They're eagerly seeking all these things. Well, when we're being anxious, who are we behaving like then? The Gentiles, we're behaving like unbelievers. We're behaving even worse than unbelievers because we should know better than these things because we know the true gospel. They seek all of these things, right? They do so apart from God, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows that you need them, and He will give you what you need according to His will. Matthew chapter 6, remember verse 8. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 says, When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Even there. Now, when we're facing a situation like this, should we pray to God? Absolutely. But even then, when we're praying to God, we're not revealing to God something he doesn't already know. He already knows beforehand what we need. He sees everything. He knows exactly what we need. So we should not doubt anything that comes from God. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Then the rest of this passage is the parallel to our passage in Matthew chapter 6. The parable is an introduction in Luke to this issue that Jesus then addresses concerning anxiety in your present life. Well, here, this man is an unbeliever. He's a fool, according to the testimony of God. And what is he eagerly seeking? All the pleasures of this life. Food, drink, bigger barns. Right? The only thing he's worried about is he doesn't have enough space for all of his grain, for all of his wealth. He's overflowing with it. So he has to deal with that. But he doesn't consider that he's going to die and then stand before God. And whatever he has prepared will be taken by the government. Okay, or someone else. (laughs) Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So there, my God will supply all your needs. Do we believe that? We must believe it. We must believe it. And not only do we believe that because it's in the Bible, right? That's our primary reason. But isn't this our testimony as well? Don't we know this to be true in our own experience? Hasn't God provided for us very graciously through the years, all of our needs? Don't we all have many examples of God not only daily doing this, but then even in difficult times, God supplying all of our needs, giving us everything that we needed? even during hardships, sufferings, difficulties. He does this. So not only is it in the Bible, we also know it to be true by our own experience. So we have no reason to doubt God. We should trust Him with everything that we have and not be like the Gentiles. We don't want to be like Gentiles. Verse 33. Okay, here is the key. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added you. All right, here is the solution to being anxious. When the person is anxious, they're not seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. But if we're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first, right, first, that's the priority, that is the focus, then all these things will be added to you. God will give you all that you need for this life according to his will, right, according to the will of God. That doesn't mean He's going to give you millions and millions of dollars. But generally speaking, he will provide all of our daily needs. He will give us. And then even if God withholds that from us, if we're one of the rare cases where God withholds our daily bread, then we know it's a test from God. It's a suffering that God has given, a trial that comes from God for our sanctification And that God will not withhold from us, even if it leads to our death, he will not withhold from us eternal life, but he will give to us eternal life. So seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness first. This is what has to be the priority. And then there's a proper place to provide those things that are needful for the body. Food, drink, clothing, right? What our children need, what our family needs, but only after, only when we have the priority of seeking his kingdom and seeking his righteousness. And isn't it often true 
that we often get worried and we fret and we're anxious over physical things, but we don't lose an ounce of sleep whenever we sin against God or over spiritual things, spiritual lacking, right? That we're not anxious because we're not growing or that we're not as mature as that we should be. No, those are the things that we should be thinking of. Those are the things that should bother us is our lack of faith, right? Our immaturity, right? The, the areas that we need to grow, right? Why is this the case? Right? My lack of zeal for the things of God. Those are the things that should bother us. And if we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then those are the things that we're going to want and that we're going to desire. And these other things will be peripheral to us. They will be secondary and they're not going to be on the forefront of our mind. Psalm 73 Psalm 73, 25. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Right? If that's what is true of us, that I desire nothing on earth besides God, I want him more than anything else, then it's not going to matter whether we're rich or poor. It's not going to matter whether we have a big fancy house or whether we live in a very small, meager house, right? Our situation in life isn't going to matter because what we desire is God. And if we have God, then we'll be content with whatever he gives us, whether it's riches or poverty, right? And it, and it can be one or the other, or it can be some mixture, some part of our life, poor, usually the early part. And then later in our life, we might have a greater wealth, right? And, and it's not going to matter to us because what we want more than anything else it is to have the Lord. He is our portion. And he is what we desire more than anything else. Philippians chapter 3. We've read several passages from Philippians tonight. So if anxiety creeps up within us, this is a good book to read. It's short. It's concise. And there's many verses in it that deal with this specific issue. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. It says, More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Right, there it is. He counts everything a loss in order to know Christ. Everything is rubbish to him. Everything in this life, everything that he used to glory in, all those things, he says, are rubbish to me, right? They're trash, they're filth. I don't want those things. What he wants more than anything is what? Christ, Jesus Christ and his righteousness. A righteousness given to him that doesn't come through the law, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ so that he might know Christ and the power of his resurrection, which leads to eternal life and the fellowship of his sufferings. He wants to know the sufferings of Christ. So he's not 
neglecting the sufferings of Christ. He's not running from them. He wants to know the sufferings of Christ. He wants to have fellowship in his sufferings because in his sufferings, he will be conformed to the death of Christ. Suffering is the tool God uses to sanctify us, to conform us to the death of Christ. And if we die with him, then we will live with him. We will rise with him, which is what he's seeking for more than anything else. Isn't that what Jesus says here? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about the resurrection from the dead. That's what should be on the forefront of our mind. Whatever it takes for the resurrection of the dead, that's what I want. That's what must be at the forefront. And then this life is secondary to that. Okay, another example. 1 Kings chapter 3. Okay, this is a good one because it is a perfect example of what Jesus teaches. And it reminds us that the standard of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is not something known only in the New Testament, but it was also in the Old Testament as well. Isn't this what Solomon does in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6? 1 Kings chapter 3, I'm at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall one be like you, like you arise after you. I have also given what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all of your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. So there... Solomon doesn't ask for riches, he doesn't ask for long life, and he doesn't ask for God to deliver him from all of his enemies. All of those things have to do with this present life. He asked for wisdom, for a discerning heart, that he might understand justice so that he would be able to lead the people correctly, knowing good from evil. That's what he's called to do. 
So he's asking for the spiritual, for the eternal, right? For those types of things. And it pleased God that he did that because he's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what does God do? He gives him all those other things as well. Isn't that what Jesus says here? All these things will be given to you as well. Right? Now, again, not that we'll all be as rich as Solomon, but he'll give us whatever we need according to the will of God. And then lastly, verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There, to summarize, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has plenty of cares that will come up tomorrow, but today has plenty of cares for today. So don't worry about those things. Deal with what needs to be dealt with today. Why are you worrying about what you're going to eat tomorrow? Just go and get what you need to eat today, and then tomorrow, go and do what you need to do in order to have your food for that day. Right? So this anxiety, this fretting, this worrying is very foolish because we don't even know if we'll be alive tomorrow. Right? We might die tonight. And so what's the point of even worrying about those things? All we have, all we know is that we have today. If we wake up in the morning, then God has granted us at least a portion of this day. So let's deal with what is before us today and not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. We might die in the middle of the night. And then what would be the point of all that worrying? There would be none at all. We had wasted our last day on earth worrying about the next day when we're not even going to be here. So it's very prideful because it assumes that our life is going to continue for many more years and that we are the ones who have control over our life. But do we have control? Isn't that what happened to the rich fool? He's thinking about tomorrow and he's not dealing with what needs to be dealt with today. Today is the day for salvation, not tomorrow. He's not dealing with that. He dies. And then who are all these things going to belong to? Not, not him. So we shouldn't do those things. Lastly, we'll read James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live also and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So there, all these big plans today and tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city and do this and that all this business we're going to make all this money it's going to be great and he says this is arrogance it's arrogance again not that we can't make plans but this these are plans outside the will of god with no consideration of our life right if the lord wills then this is what we will do right well the lord has willed to give us this day and it has plenty of troubles of its own. Don't we have enough of the flesh within us to deal with today? Isn't we have enough sin today to deal with? Isn't the world alive and well and the devil today that we have plenty to deal with today? So why are we worrying about tomorrow? Why are we worrying about our health, the safety of our children, right? Uh, how we're going to pay for this or that? Why are we worrying about those things? Right? If we're going to have a job, 
you know, in six months or a year or, or it doesn't do any good. We have today and let's just deal with what we can deal with today. And then when something comes up tomorrow and it needs our time and attention, then we deal with tomorrow. And that's what we ought to do. And seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay. All right. We'll go ahead and stop there. And we do have a couple of minutes for uh, any questions.